0: There's a great John Prine lyric uh, in a song called Sam Stone. He says, there's a hole in daddy's arm where all the money goes. And when you're living with an addict and when you're a kid, there's nothing truer than that.
1: You're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association, Oklahoma. I'm Matt Gleason. Today, we're talking with award-winning journalist Joshua Delaney. He joined the Oklahoman in November 2016. In both 2018 and 2019, he earned Newspaper Writer of the Year honors from the Great Plains Journalism Awards. I'm sure his mother's very proud. We asked Josh to be on the show today because he's the host of the Oklahomans podcast called United States of Oklahoma. And it's a podcast where he's exploring the people of Oklahoma. So today we're going to be talking about some of his fun episodes, fun and informative episodes. The real eye catchers for me were uh, one, is called Dr. John Otto, Skunks, Panthers, and Friends for Folks. And the other one is Dr. Sean Robertson, Psych Evaluations, Definitions, and Hannibal Lecter. I'm sure he came up with that title because that's <laughs> awesome. That is classic journalism <laughs> headline writing 101. Grab them. All right. So uh, we're also going to talk about the stories he's told over the years related to Oklahoma's criminal justice system and who knows what else. So I'm super excited. Josh has invited us into his house here at the Oklahoman. We're actually sitting here in this gorgeous studio that's much better than my uh, glorified closet that I usually record in. So uh, let's get to this. All right. The mental health download starts now. All right, Josh. Thank you so much for being on the show, buddy. Well, welcome to uh,
0: the corner of Maine and Robinson in downtown Oklahoma City.
1: <laughs> nice, and that's and that's kind of how you start all of your episodes, right? Like, yeah, kind of a variation on that.
0: Yeah, kind of wrote wrote that up real quick, and then uh, been able to memorize it. Nice. So, yeah. It's, do
1: do people do like your friends say, "Hey, do the line"?
0: They um, what I get quite often is. I am Dulaney, so I, I play with that a lot. So <laughs> <laughs> Most people call me Delaney, so but Delaney, you know, right, first and last, but they they do the last name thing.
1: Very good. All right, so uh, Delaney, my first question is, you know, why did you want to become a journalist in the first place?
0: Uh, so I ended up going to a community college, in, uh, Santa Ana Community College. And unbeknownst to me, when I walked in, they were this uh, just high caliber uh, journalism program, uh, awards all over the place, competed with a lot of four year schools in some award categories. Uh, had a great uh, chair there, professor and chair. And uh, I said, you know, geez, you know, I'm in my mid 30s. I, you know, I guess I should just transfer to a four year and get my degree. And he pulls me aside and he says, you don't, you don't, need, to, you, you don't need to get a four-year degree. You could go do this right now. You're old enough. You got clips and things like that. Um, I said, okay. So I applied uh, for a job uh, out in San Bernardino. And uh, within a month, I was hired. Uh, but I was told one of the reasons why I was hired was because the guy they had hired before me had fallen asleep on his keyboard. <laughs> so... <laughs>
1: <laughs> and he had a silly name, too. So.
0: <laughs> and now I remember his if name, and I'm it. not going to say it. It's that, yeah, I, should, I shouldn't say it.
1: <laughs> all right. And then all these all these years later, you're here and yeah. uh, you've done very well for yourself. And so, you know, one of the things I noticed kind of looking at your, your oeuvre, of stories is that, you know, you've kind of been drawn to Oklahoma's criminal justice system. Yeah. It seems like you have a fascination with that. And Mm -hmm. that kind of has come out in your podcast as well. So, you know, what are some of the most interesting or disturbing things you've learned in your reporting about that criminal justice system? Uh,
0: in my, my experience reporting on it is that I don't ever want to get caught up in it. It is a slow grind and it is time consuming and it is expensive. And if you don't pay the first few bills that you need to pay, that stuff is going to pile up quickly. And a lot of people that end up in the system, um, they you know, they're living day to day, and they cannot afford a twenty-five dollar library fee, uh, you know, in prison or whatever that is, or all these other processing fees, you know, even in the uh, even in the jail system. Um, I so that. I don't want to say i was shocked it was more confirmation you know when you when you look at the hard numbers and you just start to add these things up i talked i did interview a lady um who had some bills going back to the early 80s and and that was that was pretty shocking i thought well dude they at some point just let these go and the answer is no (laughs) it's it's still on the record um that and uh when you go and you sit i would encourage anybody to to, to do this actually um, because you are allowed to go into some courtrooms um, during the day when they're doing um, what they call their docket, just the regular stuff. Probably might not be able to get into some high profile trials and things like that, but hey, you know, try it. You know, That's what a reporter would do. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> ask for uh, forgiveness instead of permission. Uh, but don't end up in jail and have to pay fees. But um, the uh, amount of churn and the amount of people that go through the court system every day is shocking
1: as a reporter especially when you're young and you're getting into this and you're you know there's excitement of being in courtrooms and telling stories gritty stories and i'm going to be you know um you see people involved in the justice system probably one way that very one dimensional that they are the bad guys Mm -hmm. but getting to tell your stories in the way and in depth and these huge series that you do how has your perception of people in the justice system changed? Um,
0: it always, for me, goes back to somewhere in their life, they made that one bad decision. And now they're in the prison system because a hundred bad decisions have have added up, or a thousand of them, or maybe one. You know, one can, can get you for life. For some people, um, that one bad decision could be you know you have that first beer when you were 9 years old or 12 years old and then you needed more you needed more and now you're into this this that and the other now by the time you're 25 you're out selling drugs to or you know selling yourself or doing whatever you need to do to get your drug of choice that's the through line for um everybody I've I've had the chance to talk to you know at some point in their life they they went down that road and of course when you're uh, young you don't know that you're going to be sitting in prison. Um, you know, when you're 31, 40, 50 years old, you don't know that that's that's the road you're going down. But you know, for some people, um, it is.
1: You know. Um, so you did a series called um, "Biting Time." Yeah. In 2017, mm-hmm. and it was a series about the criminal justice system in Oklahoma County. And you spent several weeks talking to public officials, and inmates. And criminal justice reform advocates to shed light on the challenges the jail faces. That was the official summary of that. Um, so I want I to tackle some of these issues that you addressed in that series mm-hmm. and what you've heard people talk about when you've talked with these various stakeholders in the justice system, what their solutions are.
0: Uh, it's one word, money. Anybody, any, anybody in that tunnel, anybody in, 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 in criminal justice is going to save money. Well, why do you need more money? Well, um, the the public defender's office is um, overburdened with cases, and they're young ish. A lot of them get hired um, because you know uh, you're getting out of school. You need a job. You know you're not gonna you're going they, they can pay them cheaper. Um, not that what they do, not that their work is cheap, but that's just the way it is. Uh, so they need money. They need money to hire um, more public defenders. Uh, prosecutor's office will say the same thing, or the you know, DA's office. We need more money to get these cases moving. Um, we need more money. Um, DOJ, um, or excuse me, DOC... Department of Corrections, they need money. Why do they need it? Uh, we need more, uh, prison space. You know, it's overcrowded, you know, we're like top one and two in the country for incarceration with, with men and women. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're perennially up there. Uh, you know, they need, um, more money for that. Uh, the nonprofits, uh, they need money. They need beds. Uh, they need, um, funding for, uh, their programs. Uh, they need more uh, centers, things like this. You know, we always laud the, the nonprofit sector and they do great work, but the fact is there's just not enough of them. And frankly, they are really hard to get into. Um, you know, go to, uh, you know, if you went to your local Chick-fil-A and there was uh, a million people in line, you know, that's, that's about the <laughs> equivalent is what it seems like, you know. Um, so that that is it. It's money, but then the money uh, funds – um all of these other issues and so i think sometimes the taxpayer um gets uh overwhelmed by that like stop coming to us with your handout you know wanting us to put money in there you know we got to fix our roads we got to do this and that with the infrastructure um I don't know that, I mean, what do you do? Do you stop asking and then people think it's okay? Uh, I don't know. I mean, you gotta, you gotta let people know um, what the needs are, you know, and then hold people accountable for what they are, um, you know, doing with the money, you know, Uh, know, we'll give you a billion dollars. Where'd that go? Well, you know, um, this administrator needed a raise, so we got, you know, we got him that, you know, yeah, you see that kind of stuff, but. I think a lot of people in the system are, are good and they got into it for good reasons and um, they care about people. They care about justice on both sides. And, um, but you know, it's just an overburdened strain. So it's, uh, it's a money issue.
1: Yeah. You know? So you came in here with a news story uh, that you wanted to uh, kind of, uh, oh, yeah. kind of a conversation. What, what do you got there?
0: Well, this is one, I didn't write this, but I, I thought it would kind of dovetail or kind of fit neatly into, uh, my conversation with Dr. Uh, Robertson yeah. um, and I, I want to add something else too before I transition into this. I just sure. thought of it. Um, you know I write these stories, my colleagues write these stories, and people that are listening need to understand what kind of heat we get for these kinds of stories. Um, I have had people email me the criminal backgrounds of the people that I've written about as though I haven't looked that up as though I haven't seen it. And I have to, I have to, I did it a couple weeks ago, uh, somebody I was going to write about, I had to call a police department in South, Southeast Oklahoma and verify what this guy had, had told me 90% of what he said was true. So I found the other, (laughs) you know, 10%, but you have, you have people, um, that once they hear criminal justice reform are going to knee jerk uh, react to it. You know, um, what are you doing glorifying these criminals? What are you doing? You know, she did this and she did that. Well, uh, yeah, they did that. That's why I'm writing about it. Um, and, and then, you, you know, your advocates are like, yeah, yay! we love everything you do. And, but, you know, so there's got to be some kind of middle ground here, you know, at at some point. Um, where it's, I think it's something that a lot of people can can agree on uh, and come together on. But anyway, that's me complaining about my my voicemail, and my email. Um, well, so, I, the,
1: so yeah. on, on that on that track, uh, I was going to ask you about self care. Yeah, and journalists are notorious about. I was one. I I did a lot of self-care last night, brother. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, uh, especially when you travel (laughs) in the darkness like you do into talking with murderers and going to jails and prisons and seeing the worst side of humanity and then having to absorb it in a way that – you have to internalize all of these things so you can understand it and you can write it because you have to boil all that down and then put it into sentences and paragraphs um, that will then be analyzed and uh, blasted and you'll get voicemails and hate, hate mail and people yeah. blasting you on social media. Yeah. What does that do to your mental health? I mean, I, you're a tough guy. You clearly yeah. are a tough guy. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm going to do a fight, I'm taking you with me. Hey, man. Um, but, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, you, it, as far as mental health goes, what do you do to take care of your own mental health and to take care of yourself yeah. so that you can keep telling those stories?
0: Yeah. Um, I think uh, I think because I did not take the route that most journalists have taken, let's say, in the last generation or two which is you write for the high school paper. Then you go and get your four-year degree. Then you might even go to a journalism school. And then you might go to a newsroom. That's actually not a lot of life experience. That is just, you're doing one thing and you're doing schooling and then you're working. Um, I got, uh, when I, when I left California, I talked to the the editor that hired me and now he's over the entire newspaper group in California. I said, why the hell did you hire me? I go, I had no experience. I was 30 some years old and because I just knew you would bring something different, you know, um, to the newsroom, like a different perspective. The other thing is, um, I haven't had a rough life. I have had very rough parts of my life. Um, our family never had a lot of money. Uh, we have had our lights turned off. I've taken cold showers in the middle of winter in North Carolina. Uh, I have eaten beans by candlelight. Um, I've, we've had, uh, welfare, uh, government cheese is what we used to call it. Um- uh, now, we were never out on the streets, we were never destitute. Uh, my family always got by. They stayed together. Uh, the other issue is my dad's an alcoholic. And I can say that because an alcoholic will tell you I'm an alcoholic. Well, how much do you drink? Well, I don't drink, and I haven't had a drink in 26 years, that would be my dad. But he'll tell you I'm an alcoholic. I't you know, I can't take another sip. Uh, also had some uh, uh, other addiction uh, issues with uh, cocaine. So at a very young age, I saw, um, had very rough patches in my life. So any, any kid that grows up with that, I don't even have to tell that story. They know what it is. They know what it's like to, to live like that. When, when the money, um, there's a great John Prine lyric it's, uh, in a song called Sam Stone. He says, there's a hole in daddy's arm where all the money goes. And when you're living with an addict and when you're a kid, there's nothing truer than that. That's why the bills are turned off. That's why you are eating, uh, drinking powdered milk and putting water in your uh, Wheaties. That's just what you do. Or you make mayonnaise sandwiches if the roaches haven't gotten into the bread bag. Um, so I saw that kind of stuff growing up. Uh, my dad's side of the family uh, were were bikers. Uh, one was in an, in an uh, outlaw uh, motorcycle club which is cool as a kid because you're around like really cool, big dudes, So you are never going to be in trouble, but you just see the stuff that, that, um, goes on. That's a long way to go back to say that by the time I got into journalism, um, the other thing is I got my, I got to mix my mom and dad's sense of humor. So, uh, it is in some of the worst situations. I was thinking about this today. Like I, I, don't laugh at the situation, but I've laughed a lot in the situations uh, it's absurd. Uh, some of the things that go on. It's uh, and that's what uh, gets me through. You know, I've not committed crimes. I've not done that stuff. I've not been a victim of terrible crimes. But I've been around um, people that have been on the streets, and I've had my own my own rough uh, stuff. So it's not terribly shocking to me but i know i still could be shocked and there uh, there are nights um uh, there have been in the last couple years with a couple of the series that i worked on because i was really just focusing on them i think it was a combination of uh time and getting worn out and mentally uh dealing with it and trying to get this story that yeah you 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 have those private moments that you know look ugly and if people walked in the room, you know, there's a half bottle of bourbon there and, you know, a pile of tears on the couch <laughs> and 20, 25 cigarette
1: butts. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a John Prine song.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't I don't I don't medicate. I do like the the, the thing. Self-care is like, you know, you know what I you know, uh, just just things that I'm into. Sometimes I need to go down a YouTube a rabbit rabbit hole and just watch people reacting to music because it's funny or I'll watch wrestling for five hours. Some damn times I'll turn on the weather channel because it's just relaxing, you know. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, a good good whiskey and a beer, you know that that helps too.
1: Um, I think in the Doctor Roberson episode, you this it happens very quickly. But you mentioned that you were briefly in counseling. And yeah. the counselor said, have you ever thought of getting into psychology? <laughs> You're really good at this. Uh, why I, do you Why do you think the counselor asked or told I, you that? I
0: am I am glad you brought that up. And I, I'm actually going to be more open to this because we're we're in the transparency business. And if I'm asking questions of people, I need to come straight with this. And I and the other thing is I didn't want people to think, oh, my God, this guy's a drug addict. You know, like what the hell? You know, and that's, that's fine if you are. Go get your treatment. But I just left it too vague. So – that was during my starter marriage, and now when I use that term, people get pissed. So during my <laughs> first first marriage, which I f- call my starter marriage, you know it was collapsing as they do, and uh, I got dragged into marriage counseling. And so, uh, like ninety percent of guys, I don't want to be doing this. I'm like, really? And uh, so I'm <laughs> sitting on the couch in the first meeting, I didn't say a word. You know, just listening. He's talking to my wife. She's answering the questions. I'm being a tough guy. I'm not talking. I'm not talking about midway through the second session. I started opening up and, uh, and then I started, I started explaining, not just, I didn't just say, this is how I feel. I said, this is why I feel this way. And when you do this, it makes me think this is what you mean and you you're causing me not you're causing me but when you do this i need to react this way and this is why i do it so i wasn't just answering the what are you thinking how are you feeling i was explaining why (laughs) you know i i'm I'm pretty pretty self-aware you know um pretty introspective and uh I forget. I maybe we did two. I think maybe we did three. I I forget. But yeah, and then uh, then so in the middle of it, he goes, he goes, "Have you ever, have you thought about doing this?" And (laughs) it was just hilarious. I'm like, first of all, this whole situation is absurd. I don't want to be here. And I wasn't insulted. I didn't even think it was a waste of money or time. I just thought it was hilarious, and it highly pissed off my wife at the time. (laughs) I was like, yeah, you know, it just you know, I don't know how much money it cost. I think it'd kind of be cool, you know, to do this. And how do you get into it? And it was, so it was like a five-minute diversion. Needless to say, after the third one, she didn't want to go back anymore. Magically, you know, because now I was talking and I apparently had some rapport with with the doctor. Or
1: whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but there is an aspect of journalism that a lot of people they are not accustomed to someone listening, like actively listening and not waiting to jump in right of just like your job is to listen and the more you listen the more details you get and you know the richer the story is going to be but that is also what a mental health professional does of just no judgment Mm -hmm. just talk and i'm sure i've done uh counseling and and i kind of realize this being a former journalist there's something very even when somebody's talking about the darkest moments of their life and they get to tell you those stories there's a Do you notice, I mean, you can almost see that there's a weight lifted, Mm -hmm. you know, and that it's, it's a pretty remarkable thing. And, and so you really are kind of like a psychologist. I,
0: I think so. You know, when, 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 when any of us have a bad day or having a bad time, it is just cathartic to, uh, dump on someone. And we've done that with people that we know, uh, in love. It's like, Hey, at the end of it, it's like, Hey man, just thanks for letting me just dump all this on you, you know? Yeah, yeah, you, you get it all out. Now, I've been on the uh, other part of that in the darker times of my own life, where um, <clears throat> I'll bottle stuff up, and then and everybody thinks, "Oh, this guy's like really funny. He can take any joke. He can go back and forth. He's jovial." But when the thing explodes, my I think I think it scares people because like, whoa, we, we what is this? Like, you're such an easygoing. It's like, look, I'm easy. It's called being patient, and you've been pissing me off. <laughs> for an hour or six months and because you have no awareness you don't know how you're pissing me off (laughs) so i've always enjoyed um uh psychology i I, I guess armchair psychology I, i i guess the way i would put it is uh, I've always been able to read people and situations from a very young age, and I think that is uh, innate. And I and I think other personality types—they're not aware of anything. You know, there could be a gun battle going on outside, and they're talking about baking a cake over here. They're just not aware. You know, so I have. You um, know, um, I, I don't think it's a hobby, but I will read um, academic papers. Um, you know, they're posted on certain. Websites and you could you could read the abstract or the intro or the summary and all that. I will actually do that and I'll save some of these um, because what psychology um, has done for me is it's enable it's 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 put labels on things that I knew were kind of I knew sort of in, intuitively, um, you know. Oh, this is that personality type. This is this personality type. This is a kind of a mix of that. Um, so, yeah, that's that's been fun, and it, you have to use it a lot in um, journalism. And to me, it makes it a game. And getting people to talk, um, that's fun. That's a, a challenge. And there are different types of people. Um, you get people that will just blab everything. Then you get people, I'm not going to talk to you. And then an hour later, all right, you get something, or you get directed somewhere. Uh, but I've And I've always been told, man, you're, you're like – you're like really easy to talk to. And I'm just like, okay. Cause you know, I don't want to be the guy that's jumping in all the time, you know, and cutting people off. Like like what you said, you know, we're having a conversation. I'm not here to just jump in and say my thing all the time, you know? So I hope that helps. No, it does. Okay. That leads
1: perfectly into, um, so you've had the podcast. How tell me the origin story of the podcast.
0: Um, I, let's see. That came about within about three days. I enjoy, um, I enjoy being on the microphone. Like to me, it's fun, and, and producing something like that is great. Uh, we did the six part true crime series, uh, looking for Logan Tucker, and that was such a, a wonderful challenge. You know, I had to write that. I had to get the audio clips, you know, through sources and things like that. Write it out and try to always think of a listener. Like people aren't reading this. But I, I, I have for years thought um, we need we need to just keep trying and experimenting and doing something different in journalism. It could be the way we write stories. Um, do we have to do an inverted pyramid with every single story that we write? Um, you know, they just dry my eyeballs. I mean, I still write those those stories. Sometimes you just have to. Um, do uh, uh, you know? Can we do things different? Digitally, can we do stuff that is newsy? But when we say engaging, it's actually engaging that somebody actually wants to to hear uh, for a little bit or read for a little bit. Because uh, I've always believed that uh, people that uh, consume uh, news, um, you you have to do that on purpose. So you, so our audience really wants um, what we have to offer if we're doing it really well. So why not give them uh, a variety of ways to engage, uh, you know, with people around them and let's do this in a way that's not, um, uh, dorky
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. for lack of a better yeah. term. So, so as somebody in the newsroom is like, dude, you just need to do a podcast. Why don't you just do a podcast, man? Like, just do it. Just talk to whoever you want to talk to. I'm like, really? And, um, he's he's one of our senior reporters and uh he's like man you could do like a tom waits thing man just you know you can't be drinking whiskey while you're doing it but just like close to that you know
1: mountain dew is pretty close
0: yeah mountain dew (laughs) is close and i go well okay but if i have if i'm going to do something like that i don't there's there's a place for interviewing the mayor there's a place for interviewing uh politicians and 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 that stuff is great but for me i'm going to burn out really fast on that because i'm going to end up asking the mayor what kind of underwear he wears. And I know there's a time and a place for very serious um, interviews. But, damn it, I've done that for so long. I, I want to do something that I would listen to. So who would I listen to? Well, freaks, characters, <laughs> uh, people that are going to cut against the grain of, um, you know, what, what we commonly uh, hear out there. You know, I, I like talking to um, Mavericks. You know, I told Dr. Robertson that. I'm like, oh, God, you're going to get me in trouble, bro. You know, like really <laughs> – you're like refuting everything we've ever written, you know, at this newspaper with your uh, stuff here.
1: <laughs> he, his, yeah, he, his some. Of his, I mean, it's a great podcast with Dr. Robertson, and l- l- let's actually jump jump yeah. right into that episode because he I'll, says a lot of really cool stuff.
0: And I want like, to, uh, can I clarify something from that podcast? Sure. <laughs> See, this, this is the down. This is the down. Uh, the downside of podcasts. Sure. You can edit it, but it's like really you're deleting that because you, you think you sound like a fool, right? Huh. It's like no, you got to keep it in. Yeah. And uh, I asked another inarticulate question. I think I said, you know, are people, like, self-diagnosing themselves? Sure. Does everybody think they have a mental health issue? Right. Um, I was really just trying to get at um, – take kids, for example. Um, I don't know how big cutting still is, sure. but I know it's an issue for a long time. Yeah. And I, I've been around a lot of parents that have had kids, and, and things like that that I've seen is – Oh, they're starting to cut themselves. I never had any problem. And, and my, I guess what I'm wondering is how much of that, or thinking that I have a mental illness, is because the people around me do, and so that's what it looks like. And so, oh, you know, it's it's kind of like hashtag Me Too, but with that's with right. a mental right. illness. And I want to say too, I've known, uh, I, or I've been near uh, two people, uh, well, actually three, um, that um, let me let me say too. Uh, two that have committed—they've uh, taken their lives. Um, Dave Cathy, our food writer here, his son took his life, yes. and he's written openly about it. Yeah, it was, so yeah, very powerful. So if anybody listens to that episode, it was just an inarticulate way to um, you know express uh, a question. I've known people close to me that are on medication, sure. um, and it's worked uh, for a lot of them. Others. They're chasing one pill after the other. And uh, so anyway, that's what I that's what I meant by that, that question. Oh, yeah. It was a fun interview.
1: Oh, it was. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and it yeah. made me think there were several points where I was like, oh, so, um, you know, around the 19 minute mark of that episode, um, you ask him if there's a pattern for murderers. Um, mm-hmm. Do you remember what he said? Did he say... It was the, What were the predictors yeah. of future violence? So he what said, he the number one predictor of future violence is past violence, mm-hmm. and the number two predictor is substance abuse. Mm-hmm. And then he went on to say that mental illness does not drive much crime. Most criminals are not acting that way because they are mentally ill. They're acting that way because they are engaged in criminalistic thinking, criminalistic behavior. Mm-hmm. It's this great myth that we see perpetuated saying that all of these people in jail all these people in prison. If we would just help their mental health, we wouldn't have a problem with crime. So mm-hmm. that's not why they are doing what they are doing. Now, some may have mental health issues, but that's not what is driving their criminal behavior. There is a lot to unpack in what he said there, because um, yeah. there's a lot of stigma on linking mental illness with violence. And you know, I think what he's saying is, you know, it's and it's beautiful that. We cannot link mental illness with violence, but that, especially in light of El Paso and all of these mass shootings, that's the first thing that people want to jump to conclusions. It's mental health. It's mental health. Um, Um,
0: I've heard it a lot, and there are some problems around um, this issue that that I'm sure you are aware of. Um, It is something that we uh, jump to quickly and i think when i say we i don't mean like me and you but I, people yeah, in society. General, society i think because it it sounds good it sounds helpful we need to get people treatment well who doesn't who doesn't want to get get people the the treatment that they need um but it is when we talk about that around criminal justice and when we as reporters write stories like that uh I don't think we are clear enough in our writing and probably that means not in our asking of the questions to inform people that we are not saying that just because um, when we say that we need more mental health treatment centers, what we're not saying is because if not, these people with mental health problems are going to go commit crimes. And that, I think, is always what readers pick up. If they're not savvy, it's almost like an equation um, person with with mental illness minus treatment center equals person going to prison. So if you just have that mental, you know, if you have that available to them, um, they'll go uh, or they, they'll they'll avoid uh, committing crimes. And the assumption is, boy, if that guy has a mental illness, there's a high likelihood he's going to commit uh, a crime or um, or a violent crime. I had somebody tell me after that podcast, they posed the question. They said, "Well, what if um, they were taking? What if they were addicted to drugs because they had the mental illness? What if the mental illness came first and then they started taking the drugs and then that drove them into crime?" I'm like, "Look, I don't know. I I haven't haven't read that, but can we be more careful?" Or people that are uh, experts and professionals and academics tell the reporter the caveat so that they at least have it. Pray to God they'll run that quote or that background or it won't get edited out. Um, but just put that in there. This is uh, that story I brought up earlier. Now, I didn't write this, and th- this was a good story uh, from us. It was in late July. It was about uh, Oklahoma City, new details on maps for mental health proposal. Yeah. So here's here's an example of what, um, what I'm kind of talking about. And the writer, did, she did a great job on this. Uh, I think this was a commissioner that was talking. County commissioner yep. uh, Carrie Bloomert, and she said, um, "And let's see." Uh, Bloomert said that each section of the plan will serve a different purpose, but ultimately lead to the same goal: keep those with mental illness and addictions out of the county jail. Okay, so you see the the assumption in there. Uh, we got to, if you're mentally ill, we got to make sure. Okay, and I get it. I'm not. I'm not saying that's not. <laughs> A bad goal. I'm just saying, <laughs> got to be more careful. Um, and then there is this one. Uh, nearly, this is a quote. Nearly one out of five Oklahoma County residents needs mental health treatment. What does that mean? So we have a county of eight hundred thousand people. Just about. So, am I? And I'm going to be very careful. Am I to sure. believe we have hundred and sixty thousand people running around this county with a mental illness? Well, and, and, and that, what and what is the threshold? Sure. What does it mean to be you know?
1: Yeah, that's what you asked, Doctor Robertson. What what, what is mental health? What is know? mental illness? Right. Yeah. What what's what the is the threshold? What did he consider? Yeah. You know, and I I thought it was really interesting. He did uh, you know, man? I hear it, I hear it thrown about a lot. I'm like,
0: eventually, what the hell does that mean? Because now it's just a word that we're using all the time.
1: <laughs> you know. Exactly. What
0: does mentally healthy look like? Right. Is that the is there a mental version of the uh, male uh, fitness model on the cover you can tell that guy's fit he's physically healthy
1: right oh, what does it look like I, I don't know, you know well that's, and that's, that's the question you know and I think that's the the issue right there is that um, people don't know what mental illness is they yeah. and they they struggle with that and like you said it's this very nebulous for some people nebulous thing of well you know is depression anxiety low levels of that is that a mental illness is you know um is that still classified as in the category of like bipolar disorder and schizophrenia and there's just we're really i think this is the age where people are finally taking the time and there's lots of education going on of like what mental illness is and you know dr robertson and, and i want to point out that he is um he performs examinations of adults and juveniles In most criminal and civil forensic areas, and he frequently testifies in complex and high-profile cases. And he's very blunt and very honest. And uh, so, so you asked him that question. You said, you know, um, you said um, that mental illness, you know, it's this vague concept, and many things packaged into this word in terms of definition. Um, you know what is mental illness? Uh, you know, and Dr. Robertson said, uh, depends on who you talk to. Pretty much everything <laughs> is labeled to be a mental health issue nowadays. I know. view from a forensic standpoint, mental illness is something severe, something that is largely out of a person's control. That mm-hmm. is psychosis, a manic state, severe depression where a person cannot simply will themselves out of it.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: that's different from many of the depression anxieties that we all feel. A lot of what we see are personality disorders um, and a personality disorder, as he described it, is a dysfunctional way of thinking, feeling or behaving. Mm-hmm. And it's severe enough that it interferes with your life. Um, I, you know, that's really interesting, and from his perspective, um, yeah. And so these are all the conversations that we have to have, yeah. right? If we're gonna break down the stigma, you know, it doesn't matter what you know what categories that you fit into. It's people who are suffering, and we have to, whether it's, you know. Those very beginning symptoms of mental illness, which can be depression, anxiety, Mm -hmm. if we can just – I mean, you've heard this over and over. If we can get to them on that prevention side, then Mm -hmm. it won't escalate into something much more severe. So I know what you're saying. Um, And and so that's why I I really – Dr. Robertson is – really fascinating and i would love to yeah. sit down with him he'd be, uh, because he'd, he'd man, be a good talk man he, yeah it was, was really saying, interesting
0: <laughs> he was saying that stuff and i'm like oh god i'm in so much trouble <laughs> oh, <laughs> you crap, man.
1: no it was good i loved that episode um okay so uh we're running out of time here so i want to um i want to talk about uh dr john otto yeah. who's a veterinarian um in <laughs> um Norman, right? Norman, yeah. Yeah. And so that episode is Skunks, Panthers, and Friends for Folks. Yeah. Um, so what's interesting is um, you um, – and I I didn't know this personally. I did not know this. Um, that's, that veterinarians have the highest rate of suicide. Did you know that? I did not know that. Before that episode? Uh,
0: uh, I had written a story. Here's the other thing I do. I just I just try to come up with weird story concepts. Like, oh, what is what's something that the – you know, we haven't written a million times. Oh, oh, on a story about veterinarians. Yeah, how do they cope with that? And then that led to, oh, I wonder if if they kill themselves on a larger rate than the rest of us do. And uh, apparently, they they do, or at least among you know the the white. My caller professions and all that. And I I don't mean to make light of it, um, oh. but that's the whole um, coping mechanism that, that I use anyway. Oh so, sure. yeah, gallows humor, man. Yeah, I'm rep- with you. Yeah, uh, rep- I've rep- got super dark
1: humor. I hear you, man. <laughs> that, <laughs> that comes from being in a newsroom. You yeah. Just, you, <laughs> yeah, you can't. The only way you can deal with it is just the darkest of jokes.
0: And so yeah, uh, wrote that maybe a year, year and a half, maybe two years ago. Right. And he was so much fun to talk to, and he has so much. Going on, and again, he's a guy that does a lot of work um, in the criminal justice system too by bringing dogs in and, and uh, having the inmates train them, and, and it helps the helps the inmates. You know, so a, f- a fascinating guy. And the first guy to cuss on the podcast, I think first guest. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> well,
1: I would have thought that would have been you. <laughs> it's been edited. <laughs> um, yeah, and so um, I I just thought that episode was really interesting, um, yeah. and I want to share. You know that. Um, so he he explains that you know, this high rate of veterinarian suicide. He, um, and this is actually backed up in research that I actually looked at, yeah. but that they tend to be perfectionists. They tend to work alone. Yep. They have easy access to, as he called it, euthanasia <laughs> drugs. And they also suffer from compassion fatigue. Yeah. Um, but what, and, and what's great about that episode too, is that, you know, he, he said that he had lost six friends to suicide. They yeah. had died by suicide. Um, you know, and that's another thing. Um, whenever I'm talking to people um, they they know they, they kind of look at me weird sometimes because I say I use person first language with people with mental illness mm-hmm. people experiencing homelessness mm-hmm. um, people um, you know committed suicide means is actually a crime you can be arrested for making a suicide attempt. Mm. It's a crime committed. It's just like you committed burglary. Uh, so we say people, you know, make attempts, yeah. people die by suicide. Um, but he, um, you know, he talks about that. He had six friends die by suicide. And at one point he's sitting at the funeral and um, he says, no, I got to do something about this. Yeah. You know? And he talks about really working with the vet school that he's involved with, working with other uh, veterinarians that he's involved with. Yeah. And it's beautiful because he's, he's working to um, – you know they, the, uh, the vet school um, has a uh, wellness curriculum yeah. involved. And then the dean hired a full-time counselor. Yeah. And um, this this quote was great from him. He says, the, the important thing is that we recognize it, huh? not turn our back on it. It gets worse when you do. Our profession isn't recognizing it as an issue, and now, thank God, we are addressing it. Mm-hmm. So because, you know, as you know, one, si- one suicide is too many. Yeah. Um, you know, I, in 2012, um, um, a journalist friend, Omer Gillum, he no. he, uh, he was an investigative journalist, brilliant, award winning journalist at the Tulsa World, and um, he sadly died by suicide. Mm-hmm. And Omer was he just man? He was just uh, he was just this rock. He, he was just he was brilliant and he was funny, and but you know he got to a point in his life where he you know mm-hmm. he he ended it, and um, seeing the ripple effects in the newsroom. Um, I think it really changed their perspective on suicide and how they talk about mental health issues. Um, You know, Homer was dealing with clearly some mental health um, issues. Um, But that, that that's what I love about my job is I work in media relations. So I'm always having these conversations with reporters and, you know, with mental illness um, that person first language in the newsroom Especially in headlines is always rough. Cause yeah, you only got so much room. Exactly, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But that's been really interesting. So, um, you know, in your in your time in, in journalism, have you noticed a change in how people write about mental illness and suicide and these sort of things? Or from yeah, your perspective, I
0: think I think we're a lot more. Careful now than we've ever been, and I think there are some style guides out there, and, th- and that stuff is changing too. By for people that are listening, a s- journalism style guide is how you refer to certain things, and it goes on and do you capitalize this, that, or the other, but certain terms. You know, an example would be. Uh, you know, African American, you know, or black, which one is appropriate to use well you can use both. I think readers need to understand that. As we're doing that for a reason. You know, you try you know, you're trying to be you are trying to be above all things accurate, but also you want to be sensitive. Um, you know, keep up with things. So uh same thing with um mental health issues. You think about the common vernacular, you know, you you go out in public and say that guy is retarded, you're gonna get some looks and and you're gonna have people say, Hey man, you need to Watch what you're doing. You need to ease off. You know, I've seen that happen. I've seen that with 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 jokes. You know, here in the last uh, few years. So I think I think that has been uh, uh, healthy uh, for us, and um, and it's been healthy for me again to be able to put a word to a concept. When you talk about a person with autism, that's not a retarded kid. It's a person who is dealing with this. Uh, there's another language issue. Do you say suffering? He's suffering from. Sure. Or he's, you know. Um,
1: battling. You know, battling. All, that, all these sort of things. Uh, that right. kind of thing. It's so tricky.
0: Yeah, it is.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, so you're busy. I'm going to let you go. Yeah. Uh, one of the things it, we do. Um, this keeps
0: me away from the desk. I can <laughs> just stay here all day.
1: Man. Um uh, Josh, thank you so much for You're being welcome, here man. with us. Uh, one of the things that we do when we close out every show is um, I have the, um, either I or the guests say, go do good things. And it's to remind everyone that, you know, we all play a role. We mm-hmm. can all, you know, help reform the criminal justice system. We can all, you know, help in homelessness and change the way we're talking about mental illness and look out for those warning signs of suicide. So if you would do me the honors with your, Movie trailer voice, please say, "Go do good things."
0: Can I say one thing before that? Please, Here's one thing I want to say on the issue you you touched on. Um, if if you know of somebody who's struggling with with some of these issues, um, my way of doing it is with humor, but I very seriously have told people and have done this in in, in the recent year. I literally said to uh, friends, "I go, you're not going to hurt yourself, are you?" Um, and they're like, no, no, I'm, I'm gonna be good. But that just lets them know, hey, man, I'm aware. I'm not judging you, but don't, you know, let's, let's not do anything like that, you know. And texting people, calling them. Sometimes you have to go track them down, uh, too. That's, that's showing them that you care about them. Ultimately, if they're gonna make a wrong decision, that's what they do. Um, but don't be afraid. You know, don't be afraid to ask. All right. So what's my, what's my tagline? Oh, I know it. All right, everybody do good things, man.
1: <laughs> beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. <laughs>